Hi, and welcome to the 40 and Infertile podcast. I'm your host, Victoria, at 40 and Infertile on Instagram. I'm a fellow IVF patient, and this is where I share with you my fertility journey in my late 30s and 40s, while also providing you information to minimize your fertility struggles later in life. Hey everyone, it's episode 11 here, and today we originally set out with the objective to talk about finding joy and embracing your worth as a childless person, but what we actually discover is that there's something else that we are really kind of working and dealing with um, throughout this whole fertility journey. So today I have Sherry Johnson on the show, and she's based out of Canada for my Canadian listeners. Um, she is a coach for childless women, and she takes a moment to share with us her own fertility journey and her path to being a childless woman. I fully expected us to explore this, and we do. Um, we do explore how she came to being childless. But what I also learned from her today is that the struggle we face on this journey is largely in part due to grief and worth. Whether we end up having children or not, this seems to be a recurring theme. So even if you plan on continuing on your path to motherhood, or if you've experienced multiple losses or any losses, I think you'll find what Sherry has to say uh, very valuable. Um, I think what you'll also notice is that Sherry has a very calming presence. I think you'll find in hearing our conversation today that she has this soothing way about her. Once we started talking, I just felt immediately calm and she just kind of has that effect on you. Um, and it's hard to keep me calm. I'm like Taz on Looney Tunes. If like, I, I mean, you guys are 40 year olds. I hope you get that reference or I'm just like way older. I don't know. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? I'm like, I can't, I'm all over the place. Um, so I, I think you'll notice kind of that she has that vibe, that really soothing vibe, which is wonderful. Um, as always, um, I'd be so grateful for a five-star review and a written review. If you found any value in today's episode or any of the episodes that um, are on the podcast, the mission remains to educate as many people as I can through this process. So um, no one has to feel the heartache that um, some of us 40-year-olds are feeling. Um, so thank you so much, Sherry, uh, for your generosity and for sharing so much good information uh, for all of us today. And I'm so grateful that you made time to be here. And I'm definitely um, feeling supported and validated after our conversation today. So um, thank you so much. And uh, I hope you all enjoy this episode. <laughs> Hey everyone, we're back with another episode and today I have Sherry Johnson. Um, Sherry Johnson's here to talk about to us about the childless life. So thank you so much for joining me today, Sherry. Thanks for making time. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, I think so. You know, along this um, fertility journey, I think we have a lot of different um, paths that we end up on and um, your path is certainly... Um, one that some people may end up on. So I really wanted to spend some time for some people who are at a crossroads. And I'm, I'm one of those people who are at a crossroads because I'm, I'm not yet done with my fertility journey. I'm kind of in the middle of it all. And so there's still so many decisions to make. So can we maybe start with your fertility journey, um, kind of where, where you started and then how you got to where you are? 
Yeah, for sure. So I met my husband pretty late. Um, I was in my mid thirties and he was what I think of as kind of a typical guy, <laughs> a little non-committal. So it wasn't till I didn't get married till we didn't get married till we were 40. And I got pregnant at 39 for the first time. And I, it happened quickly and easily. And I, it was an accident. Um, and I was overjoyed and kind of thought, okay, this is happening. And then 11 or so, almost 12 weeks later, I started bleeding. And, and then the, the next day I miscarried that baby. And that was a very lonely experience. I didn't know anyone who had been through it. All of my friends had had children by then. And I had never even met anybody who had a miscarriage. It turns out that I've met lots of people yeah. who just never talked about it. Yes. Um, and so we, we got married later that same year and, but it took me a long time to get pregnant again. Mm -hmm. It, I think it was almost actually it was over two years before I could get pregnant again. Mm -hmm. And actually just a little plug for your last episode, yeah. because I was listening to your your episode, I'm trying to remember the name of the, the Chinese medicine doctor. I actually, what was her name? Dr. Mimi. Yes. So I also went to a traditional Chinese medicine doctor in, you know, just before I got pregnant a second time. And she did wonders for me. Like it was, she changed things in my body that I didn't even know were broken. So I have a huge amount of respect for the traditional Chinese medicine doctors. And if you're listening, go back and listen to that episode. I don't know which one it is. You can tell them, Victoria. Um, so I did a little bit of that in just before I got pregnant for the second time. And I was actually on the list waiting for a fertility specialist to see one at the time. And then I, you know, had the blessing of being able to call them back and say, I don't think I need you anymore. And then nine weeks later, I miscarried that baby as well. So that was a second heartbreak. And I don't know that I really realized I was grieving still from the first one. I didn't even really, I don't know. I just kind of pushed through it the first time and, and didn't even realize there was any grief hiding under there. And the second time that started to really come through and then it was another, it was a long time. It was months before I even had a period again after that one. So, and because that one came with some complications, um, they thought that I had a fibroid. They, they, actually, at first they thought I had a, an ectopic pregnancy. And then they thought that I had a fibroid and then they thought I had a septated uterus, which is in case anybody doesn't know what that is, it's kind of either can be a, a sort of a heart shaped uterus where it's, or it can be a septum that divides your uterus partially or wholly. So I had some minor surgery in between my second and third pregnancy just to see what that was all about. It turns out there was nothing wrong with me. 
And as soon as I found that out, I got pregnant again right away. I think the, oh wow, I think the stress, the like the the weight of that coming off was was a big part of that. Mm-hmm. And then I lost that one as well. Hmm. So after that, we tried IUI. I think we tried maybe three or four cycles of that. Mm-hmm. And by this time I was, I think I was 43 or 44 mm-hmm. and the IUI wasn't working. So we decided to try IVF or we thought we were going to try IVF. And mm-hmm. the fertility specialist said, okay, if you're going to try IVF, then you need to go see this other doctor. And this other doctor, I'm sure some of your listeners have this experience as well, where this other doctor said, okay, we're going to try this test and this test and this test. And I kind of thought mm-hmm. to myself, well, why didn't we do that in the first place? Like mm-hmm. these were tests I didn't even know were available. Mm-hmm. And, and suddenly we're doing, you know, more tests on me, more tests on my husband. Mm-hmm. And when all of that came back, it turns out my AMH was pretty low. And even in the IUI cycles, I didn't know that this was, I was not producing many follicles at all, but I didn't know what was mm-hmm. good or bad. There was, I mean, mm-hmm. this was back in 2015 ish. Mm-hmm. So the Instagram groups that talk about, you know, how many follicles you get and at the end of the cycle, like that just wasn't out there yet. So, so I didn't know that I was so close to the end of the road. Yeah. And so that fertility specialist recommended that we use a donor egg. Mm -hmm. And that was a choice. Oh my gosh. There's so much wrapped up in that decision. Um, my husband and I talked about it for a long time Um, it was just really, there's just so much involved in that decision. Like psychologically, you need to wrap your head around, okay, this baby is going to have his DNA, but not mine, all this stuff. And so we ultimately decided not to go through with it. We weren't even going to, we just didn't even try IVF at all. And that was where the road ended. I, I mean, I spent another Oh, another year, I would say after that, hoping that something would happen. I'd go back and forth between, okay, I think I'm going to be okay with the childless life to no, I want a baby again. Um, it wasn't like, okay, this is it. I'm going to move on now. It was a real process of back and forth. So, yeah, and it, it took another, I think it probably, I mean, it's, it's a process that I'm still, you know, even though I feel pretty good today. So if there are people considering the childless path, it's, it's entirely possible to be happy and feel purposeful. And, you know, there's, there's lots of beautiful things about a childless life. And so there's definitely hope, but it mm-hmm. didn't take work and it took, mm-hmm some time took a couple of years before I was really feeling, feeling good about it. Yeah. I think there's a couple of things to talk about. I mean, I think you touched on a few things that 
a lot of us during the fertility journey think about. Um, so one is you talked about how you just didn't know like that these things existed, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're in Canada, I'm in the US. So I think our healthcare systems are a little bit different. Um, but I still think the issue is that the information isn't out there. So I, I don't know. And maybe you can tell me this. Did you, it, did any of your doctors or anyone in your healthcare team tell you like when your fertility may be changing or when you should be more mindful of that? Well, yes. Um, you know, even at a routine checkup with my regular physician, I think I was around 35. And he said, you know, you should really start thinking about having kids soon. And my mom went through menopause. She was in her late fifties. So I just thought, well, I'm going to have like, I'm going to go through her path. So I have lots of time. Yes. I'm not worried. And, and I wasn't someone, I, I wasn't one of those girls who played with dolls and envisioned my life as a mother, my entire life. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of okay with it in my thirties, just waiting it out. It wasn't Mm -hmm. until I had that first pregnancy that I was like, okay, I really want this. Um, let's, let's get a move on here. But I was 39. Yeah. 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 Well, I think that's great that your doctors did have like kind of give you a warning and say, Hey, you know, we're kind of, we're getting close and that's something we need to think about, but it's hard when you're not in that life space to, to really make that decision, you know? And so I I don't know, I don't know that there's a right answer for that, but you know, sometimes I think, well, if you're not in the right space and you think maybe, you know, at some point in time, you know, maybe we should start having the conversation about, you know, freezing eggs and things like that for some people. And I don't, I don't know what that's like in Canada, but I feel like there's a lot of women who get to our age, you know, in our forties and we are like, oh, wait a minute. (laughs) I think, I think I do want to do this, but then it's like, you can't, you can't turn back the clock. You can't. And I think that's what's hard, at least for me in my 40s, is the struggle of knowing that I can't change that. Like that's, you know, you can change a lot of things, but this is one thing that you can't change. You know, I I was just going to, I was just thinking as you were talking, there's still this whole, like, I'm pretty sure it's similar everywhere, Canada, the U.S. We're taught that getting pregnant is easy. Yes. Like, you mm-hmm. you know, that's taught in high school. Like, do everything you can not to get pregnant yes. throughout high school, throughout yes. your 20s. You don't want to yes. get pregnant. It's, you know, people get pregnant on their first try and people get pregnant. There is, there's all this talk. And so it's hard to shift that with one doctor saying, you know, you should really start trying when all my life I've been trying not to have a kid. And I've been told that it's easy. You don't even you know, it doesn't even cross your mind that, that things might be winding down inside. Yes. Yeah. So that's one thing. And then the second thing is I think the misnomer that if your mom went through something later in life, that you will follow that same path. Cause the same thing happened to me. My mom had me when she was 38, <clears throat> it was an accident. She didn't mean to. And then it was like, surprise, I'm here. And so I thought the same thing. I thought, well, if my mom was 38 and this is back in the 80s, mm-hmm. this is like 
2000s now, right? Of course, medicine has gotten better. Of course, there are more yes. options available. So like I... I'm probably okay. Like I kind of want to get checked, but you know, I feel like there's so many more different options out there. So I'll probably be fine. And I think that's another thing I'm learning along this journey too, that just because your mom didn't have trouble doesn't mean that you won't have trouble. Um, the hope is that you don't. I mean, genetics is a thing, right? Um, but yeah, I, I think that's an, another one that comes up that I've heard a few times now too, is like, well, I thought because my mom, yeah, you know, went through menopause late or had children late that I would be okay. But yeah. it's another thing that isn't true. And you said something else as well. On top of that is this whole idea of medical advances. Like, you know, everyone just says to me, well, have you tried IVF? Just go do IVF. Like it's just a, an easy thing. And I don't think like I had no idea what was involved in that. I still don't think I have a really good idea. It was explained to me, but I didn't go through it myself. But even IUI was a that was a process like it is not you don't just do IVF and have a baby. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it definitely takes because um, kind of just sitting here and thinking, well, you know, not sitting here right now, but just in general thinking about all the the different things that I could choose or the different paths that I could go on. There are a lot of different options, like you said, donor conception. Um, but, you know, like you said, there's a lot that comes with that and um, embryo adoption and then just adoption or fostering or, you know, um, what have you, there are many different options, but, you know, for you, um, you and your husband decided that the childless, um, and I want to be sensitive to this. What is the best way to address it? Is it, I know that some people find that is a choice that they made and some people find that it is not a choice. What is the best way to address the childless group? Hmm. That is a great question. And I can give you my perspective, but yeah. I have a feeling that each woman feels a little bit differently about it. I look at it as a bit of a continuum and I sort of put the childless on the one end, not childless, not by choice or childless by circumstance and child free, meaning by choice on the other end. And there's... I, I sort of bounce back and forth, to be honest. Um, most days now I consider myself child free because we did make a choice not to go through with a donor egg. We didn't go through adoption. Um, we made a choice not to do that. And now I feel good about that choice, but there are days when I think I feel like this wasn't a choice. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, you know, all this, all the grief and stuff that, that the childless, not by choice women feel. So I bounce back and forth and there's, I think there's women even on the childless spectrum who, you know, some who, who were a little bit more ambivalent about having kids and some who like that was their destiny is the way they feel. So it's, it's a gray area, I would say. You're not being, you know, use whatever language. It's not offending me. 
and hopefully not your listeners. Yeah, I know. That's I want to be sensitive to that too. I because I think you're right, and I hadn't considered the option of just saying childless by circumstance. I think that's another good way to look at it because I think it's you're right in that there are you know, there are some people who having children just was not even a thought and that's great. And some people just are not to just know that children's not like having children is not on their life's path. And I think that's important to acknowledge also that not all of us went through infertility, that not all of us are sad and upset about it, that there are, you know, groups of people out there who are perfectly happy and living wonderfully happy lives without children. And I think I mean, it's easy for us in this little bubble of um, experiencing loss and grief from, you know, this experience. And so I want to make sure that I acknowledge the different groups that do exist and that I'm sensitive to that because it is hard. I mean, you know, even when you talk to us and and this is oh my, I can go on for hours about this. <laughs> I'm like, oh, There's so much to talk about um, because, you know, like you said about the miscarriage there. There are groups of us who have had miscarriages and we don't talk about it and we don't we don't say anything. It's like you said, you didn't find out that other people had had miscarriages until like you yourself brought up like miscarriages. And that's a whole separate thing, which which, you know, people can be really sensitive about. So I I, not in a bad way, but I just want to be sure that, you know, I acknowledge that all these different pathways exist in and that I acknowledge them in the way that they deserve to be acknowledged because you know even I had a miscarriage and even when I hear like when I hear about pregnancies or I think about my miscarriage and I don't know if this happens to you but I to this day it was um it happened in 2015 but to this day I think about like oh where would this kid be now you know it's 2022 they would be seven. Would they be going to school? Would I be taking them? You know, and that's For like sure. seven years, but no, nobody knows that. And you wouldn't know that if you were talking to me and you were talking about your kid or whatever, and you're talking about miscarriage, that that would trigger me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it's important to to use the right language for the right groups of people so that we're you know as inclusive as we can be for all the different people experiencing this. Definitely. Just the fact that you brought it up tells me that you're, you know, you're sensitive to it and you've thought about it. And I think that's enough. Yeah. Um, and so the other thing that I think about, too, is um, when you're considering if someone is considering the childless life, um, what are the things that drove you down that path instead of, say, adoption or, um, you know, trying the IVF or the donor? Like, what did you and your husband that you're, you know, willing to share, talk about that really said, you know what, I think this is right for us. Because I know for some people, and I'm spinning this through my mind too, that if I were to think about this, I don't, I don't know what would drive me toward that path. It, like if, you know, cause I think about, well, maybe donor conception may not be the right choice. And I don't know if I would adopt. So what were the things that you guys kind of talked about? So there's the conscious things that we talked about and then there's these other on uh, subconscious things that were going on behind the scenes that I wasn't really aware of until later. So the things we talked about were how will I feel knowing that this baby will have his genetics, but not mine. 
And actually, upon later, you know, talking to the doctor, talking to other people who had been through donor donor conception, um, that baby is actually very much it takes on a lot of the mother, the mother that hosts like that, that hosts the baby inside of her body. So that was something that I didn't know. So if there are listeners out there who are considering using a donor egg, just because that donor egg doesn't have your genetics, it doesn't mean it won't. Because as soon as that you're, you're feeding that baby with your blood and your everything inside of you for nine months, so there is that connection. So we did, we discussed that. Mm-hmm. We discussed the, you know, the psychological piece around that. We discussed the money because mm. it's, oh my gosh, like it's freaking expensive in, I don't yeah. know what it's like in the States, but in, in Canada, it's a big chunk of money. And we had already spent a huge chunk of money on Chinese medicine doctors and mm-hmm. supplements and, um, and naturopaths and IUI and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So that was a big consideration. My husband is a quadriplegic. So he has, um, he's very independent and he can, I felt he would be an amazing father. His nieces and nephews love him. But he also felt like that baby would be a constant reminder of what he can't do. Mm. So that was also, that was, I think that was something that really was sort of the nail in the coffin when he mm. said that to me, I kind of thought, you know, I can understand that. Um, so there, these were a lot of the things we discussed, but some of the subconscious things that were going on behind the scenes were, what are my, like, how am I going to fit in with my friends if I don't have a kid? And are they going to judge me because we didn't go through with IVF? You know, we didn't do everything we possibly could, everything that was available to us. And same with adoption. When we talked about that, you know, are people going to judge us because we didn't do adoption? Mm -hmm. And those kinds of things, you know, all the societal beliefs that we have that you aren't you won't, how are you going to find a purpose if you don't have Mm -hmm. children? And all that stuff was going on in my head at the same time that I wasn't really aware of was affecting my decision, but it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you guys openly talk about, like, did you openly talk about all the things that were going through your mind? No, not. Did you find that sitting in your own space, you kind of did all of that internally the first things that were conscious yes we talked about all of those and we Mm -hmm. yeah we talked about all of those but we definitely didn't talk about the I don't even think I realized that those were going on in my head until later the judgment the the fear of that judgment the um that belief that okay how am I going to find purpose now in life if I don't have a child how am I gonna know true love Cause you hear that you only know that unconditional, you know, real love when you have a child. So what if I never know that? So there, there was, I didn't really realize that all that stuff was going on in the back of my mind until, mm-hmm. you know, it was months 
past that when I was really kind of doing my own work and my own reflection and trying to embrace my childless path. Mm -hmm. What do you think was the hardest part in making that decision? All of it. (laughs) Um, That's a tough question. Um, I mean, really, I didn't know it at the time, but I, I think a lot of it was that stuff that was that subconscious stuff that was going on in my head. It was the, how am I going to fit in? Cause I was already feeling that, um, you know, being in my early forties, most of my friends had kids already and I was already going through this. Okay. I'm not being invited to the family vacations and, um, you know, when all my friends are talking about their kids, I can't contribute. I was already feeling all of that as I was on my, on my infertility journey. So that stuff was really hard to get through. It, you really feel like you don't belong or that you're, you're not as good as them. You know, they all appear to be living these beautiful, happy lives with their children. And, and I felt very, excluded from that. So that was, I felt, am I, I, am I never going to know what that's like? Mm -hmm. Um, actually something else just came to mind and I really wanted to know pregnancy Mm. Mm -hmm. and that was another big, that was a, a really big part of the loss was not carrying through a pregnancy to term never knowing what that would be like, accepting that was also really tough. Mm -hmm. I think, I think you bring up a really good point because I think as a female, a lot is tied to that experience as a woman, right? Definitely. Like, oh, you know, like you're a woman, you've had kids. And when someone asks you, which I always think is interesting when they ask you like, oh, have you had kids? Or like, oh, you know, you have kids. And it's like, no, I don't have kids. And no, I've never carried a pregnancy to term. So I don't know. You know, like I feel like there there is a lot that we as a society put on females in, in validating their womanhood by having gone through a pregnancy. 100%. Yeah. Like I, I think that's really like an interesting experience. And I think that makes it hard for a lot of people, you know, like when they're trying, I think it's like you said, when you're having these conversations to decide what path you should take. I mean, I think this certainly comes up as one is like, what is it like to feel pregnant? What is it like to deliver? Cause everyone talks about that childbirth pain, Mm -hmm. right? That you, it's like, Oh, you probably know it's not like childbirth. It's like, well, I don't, really know what that's like. I had a miscarriage. I've I've had that pain in having the miscarriage at home, but I, I mean, I don't know true labor pain, so to speak, you know, you know, you actually, so I'm going to say this because someone said it to me and it made me feel, it made me feel better. I had a friend who had a miscarriage and she, she didn't have a DNC. She had uh, she went on a drug called mesoprostol. I think it's also called Cytip. Mm-hmm, that's what I did. Which I did too mm-hmm. uh, with my first two actually. And then she went on to have a baby. 
And mm-hmm. she said to me, when you go on mesoprostol, you mm-hmm. go through labor. It is. And it was, it was the most painful thing I think I have ever experienced. Oh, a hundred percent. She said, that is labor pain. You have been through a labor. Mm-hmm. You've been through a pregnancy and you've been through a delivery. Mm-hmm. So, and that actually made me feel like, okay, I do know what labor feels like. I do know what a delivery feels like. Mm-hmm. And when you go through a miscarriage, you are, you have a delivery and you are postpartum after that delivery, even though you don't have the baby, you're postpartum. And I had never thought about that when I was going through it. It was later on that I thought, oh my gosh, yes. Thank you for saying that. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that's important to point out too, because there are a lot of people who go through these losses. And I think that they don't give themselves, I don't know that credit is the right word, but they don't acknowledge the fact that that was a really difficult experience because especially if it's early, what we tend to do is dismiss it. I did it to myself Mm -hmm. and I did the same thing you did. I brushed it off. Like it was like, oh, it's fine. Nothing. And to this day, I find these weird things happening. Like I even feel it a little bit right now where I get a little emotional about it. And I had no idea those feelings were buried inside me because I just didn't process it. I didn't, because I was like, it's not a big deal. It happened at, cause mine, I didn't find out about it until 11 weeks, but when they dated and measured the fetus, it was about seven weeks. And so, you know, I, I didn't know it had happened, so they couldn't find the heartbeat. And so I just was like, oh, it was early. Okay. And and I just kind of let it go. And I said, it's fine. You know, it happens. And I even, I even say this to myself when I'm talking to people or I say it out loud when I'm talking to people, I totally dismiss it. And I go, you know what? It was early. It's fine. It's no big deal. But I think that you're so right in that we should give that credit that you did deliver, that you did, because it is, if anybody has been on this medication, it hurts. Like for two hours straight, you feel like there is a vice around your uterus. Yeah. And I was like, I could not get comfortable. I was pacing and it is really uncomfortable, you know? And I like, I remember thinking like, is this, is this what labor is like? Because this is really bad. I'm like, this is really uncomfortable. And it, I think it's so true. Thank goodness for your friend, because I think it is reassuring for us knowing that like, you know what, this was a big deal. We did go through a lot and we just, you know, we just didn't get to hold our babies and see our babies afterwards. So I think, um, it's honoring. It's really nice to hear that, you know, we need to, well, and even what I was going to say was even the women who haven't experienced a miscarriage or pregnancy loss, they still go through a loss every month. There's grief there. And we, Mm -hmm. you know, as society tells us that grief comes when you experience the loss of a loved one, there's a death there, Mm -hmm. but there Mm -hmm. is so much grief on the infertility journey with or without a miscarriage. Yeah. Yeah, You're so right. And yeah. it's honoring that grief. It's giving it that credit that it deserves mm-hmm. that you talked about. And when you actually allow yourself to grieve, that's when you process those feelings. When you 
do what I did. And, and it sounds like you did a bit of it too. Just kind of mm-hmm. brush it off, push it down mm-hmm. and move on. That grief stays in your body and it will find its way out at some point. Um, but it's, and it needs to. Mm-hmm. And if we just let it, mm-hmm. if we allow ourselves that space to grieve early on, and even when you're on the, the fertility journey, giving yourself that time to process your emotions, it's so necessary. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, you make a wonderful point about like people who, you know, are doing their pregnancy tests every month and every month it comes up negative, negative. There's a lot of pain involved with that. And I think you're so right that we, we should talk about that too, the pain that comes with that, because that is like, you're, you're right. There is a loss that comes with that. Mm-hmm. Um, having had your miscarriages and everything like that, did your family know about it? Did you talk to them about it? Yeah. The, so the first one I was actually, I found out about a week before I was headed to a, a wedding, a friend's wedding in the Dominican to, uh, to one of those all-inclusive resorts. Mm-hmm. And all my friends were going to be there. So I had to tell them there was a reason I wasn't drinking at an all-inclusive resort. Yes. So my friends all knew. And of course, if I was going to tell my friends then I had to tell my family as well, I wasn't going to let them sit in the dark while all my friends knew. So yeah, the first one I told everybody. And then the second time I was like, nope, I'm not telling a soul. It was almost like I thought I was going to jinx it if I told people And I actually found that even harder because nobody knew about it. And it was much harder for me to say, hey, this happened than it would have been for someone to say, hey, how's your pregnancy going? How are you feeling? And for me to then have that opening to say, well, actually, it didn't work out. Mm -hmm. So I actually wish that I had told people. And the third one I I did tell it was er much earlier. I I Mm -hmm. lost the baby at six weeks, so I hadn't really had a chance to get in front of a lot of people, but Mm -hmm. I did tell all my family and, and my closest friends. Mm -hmm. And I actually found that was easier by looking back on it. When society says, don't tell anyone until you're 12 weeks or until you're past the first trimester, just in case something happens, what, what society is telling you is that you, you don't have a right to grieve. You're, you're not going to want to to anybody to talk to you about it. So you, you're going to have to grieve in silence. Right. And that's what you should be doing. So yeah. if society said, tell people, celebrate, mm-hmm. and then people actually know yeah. when you, if something happens, yeah. they know and they can support you. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, for me, when it happened, I know that I felt like I had done something wrong as a woman. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was like, why... And this is not true, but my thought was like, biologically, this is my only job. Yeah. Biologically, this was my only job was to make this fetus grow until we hit 40 weeks and I deliver this thing. Like that was my job. And I feel like I failed. And I think dealing with that um, experience alone is hard. Yeah. It's your, it's the foundational thing that a woman is supposed to be able to do. Yeah. So you feel, you blame your body. You feel like you failed. You feel like you've disappointed everybody, like your Mm -hmm. your parents, they wanted to be grandparents. 
Um, it, yeah. And, and whether you've had a pregnancy loss or, or in, uh, infertility, you feel that way. Like you feel like your body's not cooperating. It's doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. And since your family knew what a difficult time you had and knew your struggle, do you feel like they, when you told them that you were deciding not to have children, do you feel like they understood that? Or did you have a problem with any of that? Did they have any thoughts or feelings on it? I mean, most people do, but you know, did your family support you fully or did you find that you had a hard time explaining your point of view? We never even had a conversation about it. Oh, okay. No, we, so we, I don't know whether it was both my mother-in-law and my mother, they never asked. Mm. And part of me is grateful for that because I didn't, I don't know. I didn't know how to talk about it at the time, but another part of me wanted them to, because they, I felt like they weren't supporting me by never asking me how I was doing through this whole thing or how I was feeling now, you know, that I'm, that we don't have kids yeah, and that we're not going down that path. So they figured it out eventually. I mean, yeah. now I'm 49, so, yeah. you know, that door is closed, but, mm-hmm. um, they, yeah, they, I had friends who assumed that we were still trying and, and still was throwing out, like, have you thought about adoption and have you tried this? You know, the, I've heard about this specialist in the States that might be able to help you and that kind of thing. But nobody really came out and asked us, you know, have you made that decision to not have kids or what, you know, so it, it feels a little like it, sometimes it was a big elephant in the room. I don't know. With the, with the friends kind of, you know, who made those suggestions and things like that, did you, and I know people always do it because they're trying to help, but did you ever have a conversation with them or did you ever find that they pushed the subject a lot or was it just kind of like a in passing and then it was, it never came up again? I'm just trying to think back. I only really had, I'm trying to think if, if I had, I mean, I had one friend I remember asking me about adoption and I was not triggered by that at the time. Mm-hmm. A lot of women are. Mm-hmm. She asked it in a very compassionate way and it was more like, have you thought about it? It wasn't a, just go do adoption. Yeah. It was, a, it was a, a very compassionate way that she approached me. And, and I was honest that we, you know, we thought about it. I talked to a few people who had I talked to one who tried to adopt and it didn't work out. And I talked to someone who, who, you know, had a successful experience and that wasn't right for us. Um, For the ones who still provided advice that was kind of unsolicited, Mm -hmm. I just kind of said, you know, thank you for that. We'll take it into consideration and, and left it at that. Mm -hmm. Um, So it wasn't a real, they didn't push back. I didn't experience that. I know some people do, but I didn't experience that pushback from friends who tried to convince me to keep going. And did you, some of those fears that you had about not being included with your friends and that sort of thing, where are you now with that? Do you still have those fears or did, did that ever end up coming up between you and your friends? Um, that, so I resolved that by doing my own work. 
Because really what that boils down to is it was my lack of self-worth that was coming through. And infertility and childlessness will highlight that. Mm-hmm. Motherhood does too, by the mm-hmm. way. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, just, it just shows up as I'm not, I don't feel like I'm a good enough mom. But as in, in, on the infertility journey or as a childless woman, it shows up as I'm not good enough to be with them or I'm not good enough to be, I'm not good enough to be included. So I really how that, how I resolved that need to belong was really working on my own self-worth. And, and that's what really has driven me to where I am today is that, you know, that, that work to feel worthy, no matter what crowd I'm in, mm-hmm. um, the belief that I'm worthy enough to have boundaries. So mm-hmm. saying no to some things, you know, mm-hmm. in my early days, giving myself permission to not go to the baby shower. Yeah. Prior to that, I, I sort of, someone actually had to say that to me. And, you know, prior to that, I was like, well, if I don't have anything going on, any reason to decline the invitation, then I should go. Yeah. And just, you know, giving myself that permission and the ability to draw those boundaries to, Mm -hmm. to not go out with a group of women when I didn't feel like, talking about their kids or not going out with those women that I knew would Mm -hmm. and sticking with the ones who had a whole bunch of other things to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And in doing your work, did you end up working with a coach or did you work with a therapist? How, how did you get to the space you are in today? I did many things. (laughs) I, uh, I did have a therapist. Uh, I saw, I started seeing her actually very early on and it wasn't because I thought I was, it wasn't for any of the reasons that you'd think. I actually thought that I was somehow sabotaging my chances at getting pregnant. So I went to see a psychotherapist who also did energy work and So we were really, I mean, we ended up working on all kinds of different things about my childhood and my family and all kinds of stuff, but she kind of opened Pandora's box for me to this, first of all, to exploring how my childhood and my previous, you know, my, my earlier years affecting are affecting me now, but she also opened me up to meditation and some of the spiritual modern spiritual tools that, that I had never thought to use before. Mm -hmm. And that led me down a path of self-discovery. I'm a bit of a personal growth junkie now. I Mm -hmm. read all the books I can get my hands on, but I also did a lot of, I, I went to a spiritual coaching program and started to really use I started to use spiritual tools like meditation and journaling and affirmations and I got into essential oils and I I used all of those tools in a really targeted way mm-hmm. to get at what I was feeling and what I knew was really all about the the childless path. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of how I I got into it. 
Yeah. And is that how you um, ended up helping other women on this pathway? How did you come to coach other women kind of deciding whether this childless life is the way to go or, you know, who have made that decision and are struggling with it? That was also an evolution that was kind of going on in parallel to my whole journey. So I started as a nutrition coach back in, I was already working on it when I had my first miscarriage. And, and then I started doing nutrition coaching in 2014 and my own fertility journey got me really focused in on hormone balance, all the nutritional stuff you can do on the fertility path to help improve fertility. And then as my personal journey evolved, my coaching business did as well. So I was already coaching women and then I started learning how to use these spiritual tools and started bringing those into my coaching practice and realized after I had my third miscarriage that I could help women with the emotional side and the spiritual side of miscarriage recovery. So I really focused on that for a bit and then realized, okay, I'm, I'm living this childless path. And Mm -hmm. I think on the fertility journey, what I realized was many women, and I was included in this, Mm -hmm. we think that the baby is the solution. Mm-hmm. that's what's going to end all of this pain that we're feeling and all of these, you know, once I have the baby, then I'll feel like I belong. And once mm-hmm. I have my baby, all of this, this other stuff is going to go away. All this feeling like I am not a full woman until I have the baby and I can't, you know, I'm not as good as the mothers. All of, you know, we assume that the baby's going to take that away. And I think I said this earlier that that's all our self-worth issues that are just transforming Mm -hmm. when you have the baby. First of all, that's a lot to put on a baby, but we, it just transforms into, I'm not a good enough mom. And you compare yourself Mm -hmm. to to yourself to all the other moms. And and that's how it shows up then. Mm -hmm. If I could actually focus that on the women who we're on the fertility journey and after, you know, if they've chosen the childless path, because on the childless path, you don't get the baby. So all you're left with all of that. You have to heal it. But I also realized that if I had actually taken the time to do that when I was on the fertility journey, I might have actually felt a little better and, and more able to make the decisions that were before me without all that noise of society being, you know, fearful of their judgment and how am I going to fit in? You know, then I could have really made the decisions that were best for me on that fertility path. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, no, totally. I think, oh my gosh, like that's, that's like what we walk around with every day. Just being a woman, sometimes in general, you feel like you're, you know, there's so much that you have to do, you know, if you, depending on your chosen careers or whatever, I'm constantly at work in my day job, like, well, if I wasn't a female, I feel like I wouldn't have to go against this. And why am I not good enough? Just because, and that's like, you know, and it's so true that all of that like carries into the different parts of your life that you're dealing with. Like, and if you go through fertility, I 
I feel the same way. I'm like, why, why am I 41 and I can't seem to do what everyone else seems to do so easily? We've all heard, you know, and I've said this a zillion times, like how many 42 or 40 something year olds do you know that had a baby accidentally or tried for the first time and got it? And then you just feel like, what's wrong with me? Like, why am I not deserving of this? Yeah. Whatever this is. And for me and for a lot of women, it's this what's in front of us right now, which is a baby. Why am I not good enough to have a baby? Why am I not good enough to carry a pregnancy to term? Or why can I only get pregnant, but I can't carry to term? Or why can I, you know, not produce enough follicles or whatever? So like it makes total sense because I'm a semi self-help junkie. <laughs> so I get it. I listen to these things to, to try and learn how to set boundaries and to try and understand, you know, that it's okay, like you said, to say no to a baby shower. Or if you don't, you know, I have a few friends that have kids and I just, for me, it's still too triggering at this point. So I can't, I can't physically be in the same room with them. Do you know what I mean? I do. And so then I have to just say, oh, you know what? I can't make it to your kid's birthday party or whatever. And I think it's so right in what you're saying, because that, that thought has crossed my mind in that there's so much involved in this journey. And some of that carries over from other parts of your life. So, you know, I think a lot of us could probably use some of that work to say, you know what, it's to, to quiet the noise that we hear other people's judgments. And that comes too with having a kid over 40, you know, like my sister-in-law tells me like, oh, you're going to be the old mom. I'm like, first of all, <laughs> I didn't ask for your opinion. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's like that kind of stuff. If you choose or if you choose to use a donor egg or if you choose to adopt or if you choose, you know, the childless path, then people will always have an opinion. And I think it's important, like you said, to do that work to feel comfortable in your own space to say, you know what, I disagree with you and. I'm okay with us disagreeing and I don't necessarily take that personally, or you can feel strong in your position and how you feel. And I think that work is so important. Do you, do you find that that's the biggest struggle with the clients you work with? Like, what do you think is their biggest? 100%. Well, there's two, it's Mm -hmm. twofold. So there's, there's grief and sadness and, and that whole, that's a huge struggle. So, and it's the acceptance of that and the, the processing of that grief is really the first thing, the first big struggle. Mm-hmm. And then once you're able to process that, then then you can work on the other biggest struggle, which is the self-worth. Mm-hmm. It's the, I'm not good enough. And that shows up no matter where you are mm-hmm. on the path. Even if you are able to have an IVF baby or... Um, you know, you were able to adopt that shows up, you know, then you start, you know, you, you run into the woman who says, Oh, I was so fertile. Like I just had to look at my husband and I'd get pregnant. So he said that to me one time. And then you feel, you know, even you feel like, well, I had to have all this help. My body wouldn't do that. So you feel the less than I'm not as good as her, whose body seemed to be so fertile. We tie worthiness to fertility so you may get the baby, but you're still going to have to work on all this other mm-hmm. stuff. 
you know, my sister says that she had, a, she had to have a C-section. She did have a baby. She had similar issues to me. She had, I went through IVF and, um, and she, she had to have a C-section. So she said, like thought to herself, oh, I'm not a good mom. My body didn't do what it was supposed to do. And she had, I had to have this baby through C-section. So it will show up. It'll keep showing up no matter what path you end up on. So it's better to actually do the work now. And and then you can get through life a little easier later. No, it's so true. I mean, there's this whole conversation out there of, you know, the people who did vaginal birth versus the people who had C-sections and then the people who can breastfeed and the people who can't breastfeed. And, you know, it's like, I think you're so right that it, it comes up. And I think whether we end up, you know, holding our baby or not, we're, if it's, if it has come up in the past, it will probably rear its ugly head again in, you know, our worth. And so I think your work in trying to, as you say, awaken worth <laughs> in women yeah, exactly. is so important, period. And I think it, it is your sense of your your sense of lack of worth is compounded during this journey. I it's almost like yeah. you you like can't turn it off because it's like you feel like you hit like obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. And then you just, you feel like you get knocked down a peg every time, you know? Absolutely. And especially, I feel like, and you can tell me what you think too, but I feel like some of us who are particularly in our forties, the struggle is greater because we have more obstacles to overcome. We have less eggs, we have lower egg quality. And so, you know, I've gone through four IVF cycles and three of them were unsuccessful. And that, when you take that hit, that hit after hit after hit, and you feel like each time you get knocked a peg lower, Yeah, you know, and that feeling of not having worth as a woman, you know, because like you say, it, our, our society has tied our worth as women to our fertility to some degree and having families and, you know, how, how do you have find purpose in life if you're not a mother, you know? And so I think when we go through this, I think you're so right that we just feel like it is, it gets harder and harder and we do have to repair that. And I think if we decide that the childless life is the option, I mean, you're so right. I hadn't even considered that all that grief is still sitting there. And that's probably one of the biggest obstacles in finding peace with saying, you know what, my path is no children and I'm going to be okay with this. So I think the work you do is so important. And with your clients, what do you find is like the biggest helpful tip um, that they've taken away from you that has helped them find some peace? Um, I'm trying to think of the best one. When you, Whenever someone phrases it that way, I'm like, okay, I have all these yeah. tips. Which is the best? <laughs> Give me top three. How about top three? <laughs> okay. Uh, number one, feeling. the Feeling your feelings. Allowing yourself to feel is the number one thing. I think actually now that I, I think about it, that is probably the first thing I would say. And one of the easiest ways to do that is to, is to meditate or just to, uh, it's, it's 
not trying to make yourself busy. It's not, it's, it's the opposite of pushing all those feelings down. Like we talked about earlier. So it's letting yourself sit with your feelings because your, your feelings will go away when you actually release them and it's feeling them that helps you release them. If you try to push them down, they're going to eke out in some other way. Usually it's going to show up as anger or irritation or a trigger or something like that. But if you just allow yourself to feel whatever it is, whether it's sadness or anger or you know, we're taught that good girls aren't supposed to get angry. So we shove down our anger too. Just allow yourself the grace of feeling your emotions. Mm -hmm. That's number one. So whether that's through meditation or taking a walk in the forest Mm -hmm. or or doing whatever it is that allows you to have that quiet time. Um, Number two, journaling is probably another really helpful way of getting through some of that emotion, allowing yourself to free write. Um, It's quite amazing. Somebody just described it this way to me. You know how you take the, how you can take a magnifying glass and focus the sun on something on the ground or or whatever piece of paper and you can actually make it burn. Mm -hmm. Journaling is like taking all the things that are swirling around in your head and focusing them through the magnifying glass onto the page. Mm. So it's like getting all this stuff in your head and getting it out onto the page is like a catharsis. Like it's, you don't even know you're thinking stuff mm-hmm. until you see it out in front of you. I like to think of it as a football game or a, a soccer game or something. Like if you have your back turned to that game, you have no idea what's going on, but you can kind of hear all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then when you just turn around and look at it, then you can see, oh, okay, this is what's going on. It's right in front of me. So it's like we have to get it out in front of us. Mm -hmm. So that's another really big way that I do that with all of my clients. I get them writing. Mm -hmm. So that's number two. Number three, there's actually a huge thing with, um, it, it seems so simple, but affirmations, mantras, whatever you want to call them, they can be so helpful at taking whatever it is that you believe about society, whatever it is, Um, And turning that into something positive, Mm -hmm. you say that enough times, your brain ultimately begins to Mm -hmm. believe it. Mm -hmm. I keep talking with my hands and showing you. Yeah, no, 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 totally. I do it too. Listeners can't see me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I think those would be my top three. It's that feeling your emotions. It's getting those emotions out onto a page. Mm -hmm. So writing Mm -hmm. and then turning those things into an affirmation, those, all those beliefs that we think about ourselves, your inner critic, take those, turn them around and, and start saying those things to yourself so that you, you, you know, you turn those beliefs around in your head. Um, so I have a few questions from our listeners. So, um, if you don't mind, I'm going to ask you a few of those questions now. Is that okay? Go for it. Okay. Uh, Question number one, um, how do you feel when you're asked why not adopt rather than being childless? How do I feel is one thing. How do I respond is another. Um, I mean, it makes me at first, it made me feel that judgment 
-hmm. that we talked about earlier. Like, are you judging me because I decided not to go that route and you feel like I didn't want motherhood bad enough to take, Mm -hmm. you know, to adopt? Um, And adoption to me, that is a whole, it's not a consolation prize. It's not a plan B. It's a whole thing of its own. Yeah. And it can be really beautiful for, mm-hmm. for many women, but it's not the easy plan B. There is right. like, there's no guarantee that that's going to happen. There are not many babies waiting to be adopted. Um, there are children waiting to be adopted, but even that is not easy. You have to be matched. If it's overseas, there's a whole other ball of what, like that's a whole other ball of wax adopting from overseas. So it's, I think if I were to be asked that now, I think I would just take the time to explain that and say, it's not, that is not an easy route either. Mm -hmm. That's a a huge decision for a couple to make. Mm -hmm. And it has, it's a whole other, you know, a full package of of psychological stuff that you've got to go through with your husband or your partner when you're making that decision Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. So it's, I think I would take the time to explain it to someone who, you know, flippantly said, why didn't you just adopt? Mm -hmm. Because it's not just. Right. And that actually, like you took the words right out of my mouth is the the just part. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, oh, well, just do adoption. Like it's so easy. Just do IVF. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. Just do it. You know, it's like, well, for some, you know, it may not be a solution. And for others, I mean, even then it's like some of these, they're two, three year waiting lists, Yeah, you know, Mm -hmm. to, to get a kid. And it's not, it's not always a simple solution. So I think you make a lot of really good points. No. And your age is taken into account. Oh, is that so? It is in Canada. Mm -hmm. Mm. You might not get an infant if you are 45, which is how old I was when we decided, finally made the decision not to mm-hmm. do the donor egg. Mm-hmm. Oh, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I have to I have to look into this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, how did you know this was your path instead of other family building alternatives? I think you touched on this a little bit earlier, but I'll, I'll let you respond. Yeah, I didn't know it right away. Um, you know, even after we decided not to go through with the donor egg, we, I still explored adoption I explored fostering. And I say I, because my husband really didn't want either of those to do either mm-hmm. of those things. So mm-hmm. it was really me exploring and then trying to convince him that it was right. And then realizing it wasn't. So it, it was, it's a process. It's never, a, and it's never a finality Mm-hmm. until it's a, until it is, it's, you know, you go back and forth. Should we maybe explore this? Okay. No, we're not going to. And then you go back on that decision. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah. yeah, it's a process. And then how did you get through the realization that it wasn't going to happen? What are the immediate steps to take? The first thing is to honor your grief. Like we talked about earlier, it's, it's first recognizing that what you're feeling is grief so even if you are someone who, you know, didn't even get to, you know, there's, there's people who have medical issues, why they didn't even get to try IVF. So it's, it's honoring that you've lost a dream. Mm-hmm. 
that you're, you know, that is grief. You've lost mm-hmm. your imagined future. So it's honoring that grief mm-hmm. and allowing yourself to feel it. And, and then it's, <clears throat> excuse me, it's working on those triggers. So, mm-hmm. which really usually come back to the self-worth. It's, it's kind of once you've accepted, okay, I've, I've gotten through the grief. I've accepted that I have this lost dream because you can't move on until you actually accept that. Yeah. Then you can start to work on, okay, how am I going to actually get through life when I'm being triggered all the time? And I don't want to be around people who have kids. You you ultimately need to be okay with that. Otherwise you're going to feel like crap every time you're in those situations. So then you start working on the triggers. Yeah. I think this, I think rolls into the next question because the next question is how does one get here? I've tried to be happy, but it's hard. The pain runs deep. And I think hearing what you had to say earlier too, it, it seems that it, it's true. A lot of your clients, it's the grief part. So yeah, it sounds like I'll, I'll let you th- answer this because I, I, I don't want to um, speak for you, but it sounds like your suggestion is to really work on that grief part. Yeah. Yeah. You've nailed it. It's, it's, we've talked about it already. It's, yeah. it's honoring that what you're feeling is grief. You can't just try to be happy. Yeah. And it's taking small steps. I mean, mm-hmm. something that works with my clients is, is being intentional about bringing joy into mm-hmm. your life. So it's okay today. What can I, what do I love to do? What small thing can I do for myself? That self-worth thing again, right? Yeah. Self-love. Mm-hmm. Can I just buy myself a really good cup of coffee mm-hmm. or whatever it is? Can I you know, run myself a really beautiful bath and take that time for myself. What is it that's going to bring you a small bit of joy and be intentional about that? Well, and I think it's important to say time frame too. It is not something that's going to happen by a month. It's not going to, it may not even take no. a year. It may take longer. I think maybe it's kind of like the grief with miscarriage too. It doesn't I think it's important for people to know that you're not going to necessarily fix this grief in a month. And that's okay. That the idea is you continue working on it. And over time, you find yourself in a better space. Would you say that that's true? Yes, definitely. And grief is not linear. It's, you know, it, it, you feel good one day and then all of a sudden you feel bad again. Mm-hmm. And then you feel good. And then, you know, it's kind of two steps forward, one step back. Mm-hmm. So honor that too, that it, it's not a straight line mm-hmm. to the finish and it's different for everybody. And it, it takes everybody a different amount of time. Mm-hmm. Some people, it, you know, they feel some of that grief for the rest of their lives, mm-hmm. but it's, it definitely gets easier, mm-hmm. especially when you do the work, it, it fast tracks it. Yeah. So when, when should people come see you? When should people seek your help on this journey? Like at what point should they say, you know what? I really need Sherry. (laughs) I need Sherry on my side (laughs) because I am really struggling and I don't know how to get through this. Well, it can, I mean, I've worked with, with people at every stage, you know, people who have just had a loss and they're still on that. They still want to try again. Mm -hmm to people who've never had a loss, but they're on the, the infertility journey to, to, okay, I need to start embracing the childless path. Mm-hmm. 
my feeling is the sooner you start doing that work, the easier it's going to be to make the decisions that are ahead of you. Mm -hmm. So even if you're still not ready to accept that chat, like me, you know, you're still wanting to try, Mm -hmm. it can still be so helpful Mm -hmm. to start working on that grief now because you're feeling it now. Mm-hmm. If you process it as you go along, it's it's going to get easier much more quickly. And what happens when people work with you? Do they meet with you monthly, weekly, or what's involved? I find the the my clients who are most successful, they meet with me weekly. Mm-hmm. And they usually have homework or some journaling or things to do during the week. Sometimes I text them remember to do this. Um, And it's just a little like set your intention for joy today. So it's, it's usually weekly, but for some women, it's, you know, they'll meet with me one week and then the next, and then they need a bit of a break to process some things. So, so there is flexibility there for sure. And then of course I also have a membership. So that's, that's a monthly membership. I just opened it up. I just launched it recently. So that's, Um, that's a whole different way of working with me, but one-on-one it's, there's some flexibility, but Mm -hmm. usually I recommend no fewer than at least three sessions and, Mm -hmm. and try them weekly. And so is the membership like a group setting? Is that what that is? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's a group setting. We do group coaching calls and then I do a mini retreat each month Mm -hmm. and then, I record some meditations and some journal prompts and, and things like that, that they can do during the course of the month when we're not actually in front of each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, so that's kind of nice. So if you're needing more, more concentrated help, one-on-one is an option, or if you just kind of want to explore some of these different ways of dealing with your grief or the struggle during the process, then the membership might be a good option for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little more self-paced and, and there's more, you know, if, if you're looking more for, you know, some women are looking more for the, the camarade, the community, yeah. the camaraderie that, yes. you know, other people who are going through the same thing and this provides them with that kind of space as yeah. well to actually get to know people in that other women who are going through what they're going through. Yeah. And you said it's the spectrum of women, right? Not necessarily just childless um, folks, but people who are also going through the fertility journey still, or is the membership primarily for those who have on that childless journey? The membership is primarily for women who are, they definitely haven't had children, but they may still be trying. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be helpful for them to sort of process some of that grief and, and work on their, their self-worth. Um, and then of course, for women who are, are childless and trying to accept that path as well. Mm-hmm. And so if people want to connect with you, how do they find you? How do they contact you? My website is sherryjohnson.ca. Sherry's S-H-E-R-I and johnson.ca. And on Instagram, I'm at awakening.worth. My podcast is Awakening Worth. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I didn't. And those are the let's, ones. Let's talk about your podcast really quick. I know we're running a little bit long, but really, really quick. Tell tell us about your podcast. Yeah. So my podcast is I have guests from all over the map, um, but we really kind of hone in on that self-worth 
and how to build it. And there's, I have women who have all, you know, different stories on how they got to the childless path and different experts. And yeah, it's, I'm loving it. I love doing this kind of thing when I'm on this side and when I'm the interviewer, it's, it's all fun. Yeah. I I think it's a lot of fun. I get to meet a lot of different people and hear about a lot of different experiences. So I totally agree. Well, I want to thank you so much for sharing. I I like, I get so excited. And so these things always run long because I get excited about talking to people and their experience. So thank you so much for sharing everything with us and for sharing all your expertise and your journey journey as well. Um, I think there's so many things. Hopefully you'll come back because I think there's a lot of more conversations for us to have about some of these things that I think we touched on, but probably deserve a little more time too. So hopefully you'll come back. Oh, I would love to. I really enjoyed being here. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And um, I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. I want to thank you for tuning in today. I hope you found today's episode helpful. If you want a question or topic covered in future episodes, please feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at 40 and infertile. Make sure you hit the subscribe button for alerts and new episodes, and I hope to see you back again soon.